Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to give you a moment to subscribe to our podcast and blog mailing list via our website, thegoodhealthcafe.com. I'm waiting. Have you done it? Great. Today's guest is Ruth Ba Jady, a psychotherapist and co-owner of El Piso Counseling Services in Ontario, Canada. Ruth and I discussed the topic of mental health broadly, why it's been such a challenge this year, and what the experience of seeking counseling services is like. Let's listen to the episode. Hi, Ruth. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for coming. Could you tell us a bit about you, please? Thank you, Nikita. Thanks for inviting me, having me on your podcast today. I'm excited to to be here and and chat with you. Um, Yes, my name is Ruth, Ruth Bajabi. I'm a psychotherapist and together with my husband, Elvis Bajabi, we own El Piso Counseling Services. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. Could you tell us, please, what a psychotherapist does? A psychotherapist is an umbrella heading. A psychotherapist works with clients that have um, no issue to a plethora of issues from mental health, mental illness to um, marital relationships, relationships in general, career, addictions. It's um, an umbrella of many different um, challenges and issues that we work with we work with Uh, but primarily we're known for I guess uh, helping clients to sort through um, challenges that they may be going through we are the neutral voice um, the outside voice you know the the outside of the box we look we help people look at different perspectives and provide interventions and tools and, and ways of dealing with whatever challenges that they're going through a great helper. What <laughs> I, I don't want to say that we are, you know, jack of all trades, but <laughs> I, I often say we're like the family doctor. There you go. We're like the family physician. When you go and see your family doctor, they will do the basics, right? They will check your temperature, your blood pressure. They'll ask you what's going on. There are certain things that they can deal with right there and there. They give you a prescription. And there are times when, you know, they sense that maybe you have a heart problem. And so then they'll refer you to a cardiologist or maybe you have diabetes. And so you'll be referred to an endocrinologist or, um, you know, whatever specialty they send you to the specialist, but at the same time, they work with you to manage your your illness, to manage whatever is going on. So I say that a psychotherapist is kind of like a a family doctor who manages your health. What a great comparison. (laughs) Why did you pick psychotherapy? Oh, goodness. Did it pick me or did I pick it? I don't know. I think I've said this before, maybe even on our website. Um, Why? I've always been curious about how the mind works. So my original or my initial um, area of interest was a child psychologist And as a young person, I didn't really know what a psychologist, a child psychologist does. All I know was that I want to know how children think and why they do what they do and, um, you know, help them. Um, So that's where that interest came from. Um, My dad wanted me to be a lawyer. Uh, My dad is a is a, a pastor and my heritage I'm uh, West African Ghana specifically and you know as as coming from a that culture that home the tendency was you know you're going to be a doctor you're going to be an accountant you're going to be this you're going to be that my warrior or an engineer <laughs> or an engineer something big 
Mine was the lawyer, I guess, because I, I don't know, I liked, I liked reading when I was younger and uh, my friends would say I like to argue, but I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Um, and so how I actually became a therapist was I, um, I was a youth worker, a youth leader at my church and, um, you know, working with a lot of young people. I was also at the time working for um, a nonprofit organization. We worked with young offenders and young people at risk of offending. And through my work, um, I came, I was in contact with a young person that wanted to suicide. And um, my work with that young person took me in front of a a real psychotherapist. <laughs> and I remember her asking me if I was if I was a psychotherapist. Like, no, I'm not a counselor. I'm just here supporting this young person who's going through, you know, whatever. And she said to me, You should be a counselor. You have natural um, traits. You're very good. You'll be a good counselor. And that was it. After that day, I went home. Um, I told my husband, hey, I'm going to be a counselor. <laughs> and I and the therapist was a, a lecturer at the university and she she was teaching the counseling course. So um, I signed up. That's amazing. That's how I got into it. And, you know, like I said, at the time I was working, I was working with young with young people, um, and I thought, hey, how great would it be to 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 get more knowledge? Because by then I'd finished my first degree in social sciences, um, and I had majored in law for my dad. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that kind of helped when I, you know, working with um, kids and probation and schools and stuff. So it helped on that side, but really I think the social science the part that what did I do social sciences yeah I think it was helpful in what I was in so I went to study and of course my husband being my husband said I'm going to study as well if you oh. study to be a counselor I'm going to study what's that about I'm going to study with you and um the rest is history <laughs> that's a fantastic story and you have a built-in study buddy that was great <laughs> yes 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 it was it was fun I we were in different classes to start off with uh, when we the first year we were in different yeah different classes and then the second third year we were in the same class but the first year we were in different classes okay so my first question to you well, the first question is, what is mental health and why is it important? Mental health, why is it important? Well, I think sometimes we get confused with mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. uh, mental health in itself is the well-being of the mental mind, of the mind, Um so that would be mental health, being healthy, physical health, mental health, uh, emotional health. Mental illness, on the other hand, is the opposite of mental health. Um, and so people struggle with different types of mental illnesses, such as depression, anxiety, things like stress. We don't think that it's under the umbrella of mental illness, but they are under mental illness. Um, and then you can go as far as, um, you know, schizophrenia um, and some of the other pathologies that are, um, would be on the highest scale of mental illness. Okay. What is the difference between depression and anxiety? That's, those are two we hear most often. Right. So depression and anxiety. Depression, they're similar in many ways. Um, anxiety is kind of like a worry, a worry uh, concern, but a, a great a worry concern that extends to extremes. 
and you are forever anxious mm. about what to do, what people are thinking, what to say. Um, but it gets extreme when you need help. You'll need um, support from a, a counselor or a therapist to, to process what is keeping you worried. Um, depression comes with anxiety as well. But depression is, you know, um, people suffer from depression after trauma after an illness people can i should say suffer from depression from uh, long-term illness from grief loss of a job loss of a home um from different things that you know when things happen you get sad okay right. you you mentioned the you mentioned that people say depressed i'm depressed i'm depressed and generally we use the term um incorrectly because depression is a it's is an illness, is a chronic illness. It is a it's a diagnosed illness. So um, people feel sad when I'm having a yeah. bad day. I can't say I'm having a bad day, but instead of saying I'm having a bad day, I can say I feel depressed just because I have low mood. I don't have the motivation. I don't have the aptitude to get up and do what I need to do. Maybe I can't get out of bed. Um, maybe I've lost appetite. But when these symptoms prolong for about 14 days, two weeks, then it may become a clinical illness. And if I'm not able to get out of that state, then I'm going to need some help. I may need to go to see my family doctor. I may need to go and see a psychiatrist who will then do a proper assessment and diagnosis. So oftentimes when clients come and say in therapy, I'm depressed or I have depression, my question is, have you been clinically diagnosed? Right. I'm not, we, we don't like giving labels. We, we, we say labels belong to boxes and, and jars <laughs> and things. Um, so we don't like to, to give labels. So unless you have been clinically diagnosed, I'm going to assume that you're having a period of uh, unfortunate things that's causing you to have low moods, lack of motivation, and I'm going to assess. I'm going to do my own basic assessment to, to see how long these things have been going on for. And then if I, based on my assessment, realize that, okay, this person is either mild, moderate, or severe, on the moderate to severe line paradigm, I'm going to refer you to a family doctor who will then refer you, depending on what they assess as well, to a psychologist for a proper extensive diagnosis and then you'll get that label of depression um similarly with anxiety again for two weeks if I'm having racing thoughts if I um can't get into my car let's say that um an accident happened or maybe I wasn't in an accident I then become anxious and fearful to get into the car um, so it comes with some kind of fear associated with anxiety. Does that explain the two? Does that give a better understanding? I think so. It's clear to me now. And it's sounding like one way I might know if I even need help is if I'm having these racing thoughts and they're recurring, or if I am having struggle getting out of bed or doing my daily activities for at least 14 days, that might be a sign that something's going on for which I need to seek help. Mm -hmm. sometimes you might hear someone say, oh, you just need to get over it or you're just being lazy. How do we respond to that? I'm not even sure if that's the right way to word it, but you know, how do we tackle things, things like that? Because sometimes, and in some cultures, some people feel like these aren't real issues. You don't really need help for this. So what I'm hearing is that sometimes when you're going through these emotions or these low moods, or we have low serotonin levels, some well-meaning friends or relatives will say, oh, just, just get over it. Just get over yourself. You know, why are you in that state? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let me just say that these people are well-meaning, but the, the reality is it's an illness. 
So in the same way that you're not going to tell somebody with um, cancer, just get over it, or somebody with any other illness that we recognize as a, as a big illness, um, we're not going to tell them, just get over yourself. In the same way, we wouldn't tell somebody who has depression or anxiety or any of these um, symptoms or illnesses, get over it, because it's not easy to get over. Right. You, 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 you just don't get over. Sometimes um, you will need help, especially if it becomes clinical, then you will need that assistance. You, sometimes, you just cannot get over it. You have this dark darkness over you that you just can't shake off. You want to, but you can't. You're in bed. You can't get out of bed. You don't open the, the curtains. You don't open the windows. You don't eat. You lose interest with your, in your friends, um, low appetite, or you may find yourself eating and eating anything, not because you're hungry, but it's kind of a pacifier. Um, depression is one of those illnesses that one would say it's, it's kind of invisible, it's, it's in the head. It's in the mind. You can't see it. On, you see it because it's a physical manifestation in my behavior changes, um, but you don't see the illness per se. You know what I mean? It's not like somebody who has a broken leg. Yeah. I can tell you, I see you with a broken leg. I see you with crutches. And so I see you coming. Immediately, my mind goes to, oh, they may need assistance. Let me help them. Let me move the chair out of the way or let me, whatever. You're ready and eager to help. My, you know, mental illness is invisible. Um, it can be invisible. There are some that are invisible. Um, it's, it's an emotional um, and you won't see it as clearly. Some people are depressed, but, but they put on an appearance. They put on a, a face, a facade just so that they can get by, they can move on with life. They can get along with these people that say, just get over it, just, right. just do things, you know? So I'm going to smile so you feel better because if I'm not okay with myself, I'm sad. I can't smile. Um, I'm not engaging. I'm not interacting as I usually do. It's going to make you feel awkward. It's going to make you feel kind of, you know, tension a little bit and so sometimes I'm going to pretend so that you can feel better to the to my own detriment yeah that's a shame it's yeah so let's say you know someone works up the courage I need help I'm going to call someone what happens in the therapy experience what happens once you've made contact with a therapist and you decide I'm going to give this a try mm-hmm. and that's the big step isn't it yeah the, the courage to pick up the phone to call or to even go online and look at, like I said, you know, there are a plethora of therapists with different specialties. So how do I know which therapist and who to go with? Mm-hmm. Um, therapy is a relationship, right? It's sometimes it's trial and error. It's being able to connect with, honestly, it's true. And, you know, when my, when our clients call and I talk to them, I say, It's about relationship. I'm going to share some of my darkest, innermost thought secrets with you. Do I feel comfortable enough with you? Do I feel that you understand me? Do I think you're judging me? Um, Do I think that you're providing that space, full acceptance uh, for me to be who I am? Or as I'm talking, is your facial expression going to show to me that you're shocked about my my story, you know, and that can be very off-putting. So it is a, it is about relationship. It's um, building that trust with a therapist. But um, to go back more to your question is, um, so let's say, okay, let me just take you through the process from beginning to the end. You will call, ring, ring. Hello, LPs, that I was speaking. Usually they will say, I'm looking for counseling. Do you do, I don't know, whatever counseling they're looking for. So we'll go through an intake form. We'll send an intake form. Um, They'll fill out the intake form based on what their needs are. On the intake form, they will say why they need counseling. Um, They might put down things like the depression, the anxiety, 
the um, self-esteem issues, the um, relationship issues, behavioral issues, whatever issue there is, I will then, at El Piso, will um, look at the intake form uh, and see what the needs are and then match them with the right therapist. Um, and at El Piso, we have various types of therapists with different um, specialties. So I will match accordingly. And once they, you know, they, they get matched, the therapist will contact the individual. They come to session. Right now, because of COVID, everything is online. So they'll be sent a Zoom, a Zoom link and they meet on Zoom. But if it's in person, it's similar. They'll meet in the office. Um, and it's that's when the relationship begins. It's okay. Good to meet you. Thank you for coming in. How can I help you? What brings you to session today? What are you looking for? And that's when the, the journey begins. And I get to ask you questions. You get to ask me questions. And I listen. Yeah, the therapist is there to listen um, to the, the, the client. What are they bringing? It may be, okay, right away we get started. Or it may be, I need to listen and hear some history, some background story about you. Maybe there's been trauma. Maybe you want to talk to me about that trauma, what happened, so that together we can assess the situation and see what interventions that we'll need. How do we manage this issue? It may be relationship. It may be that, oh, I um, communication, um, learning how to communicate, learning to be assertive. Um, so it really depends on what people are bringing in. But the initial thing is connecting with the therapist. And I often say, when people call, ask as many questions, because it's about you, it's about your yes. health, right? You're the one who needs the help. So don't don't be embarrassed. Don't feel that I can't ask the questions. You're paying for the service. So <laughs> ask all True. the questions you want and be comfortable. I um, often say that first connection, that first contact on the phone, being patient and giving that person the time for them to ask questions because not everybody goes to therapy. Not everybody has been to therapy before. Um, some people come to therapy, but they don't even know what therapy is about, you know? So I will ask the question, what do you know about therapy? What do you know about counseling? What are your expectations? So that's when I have to tell the client, okay, this is how it works, or this is how I work. This is how we work. Um, our work is not to tell you what to do. Uh, our work is to listen to you, to understand deeply what is what has been going on for you and how best I can assist you? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And a goal could be um, as broad as I need a job. Okay, that's my goal for coming to therapy. I need a job. Wow. That's where I have to then unpack. I need a job. I need to make it a realistic goal. I need to make it a smart goal. I need a job. What kind of job do you need? What what job are you doing presently? Do you enjoy that job? No, I don't enjoy that job. What qualifications? What skills? So now we're unpacking and make to make sure that at the end of how many sessions you get what you're looking for and you can see that you're achieving, you're getting that. Right. But if I want a job, I can say, great, okay, I have a job. Here, go be, go be a doctor. Meanwhile, do you have the skills to be a doctor? Do you have the experience? Do you have the knowledge? All of those things. So it's really for us to partly educate so that you don't get frustrated because you may say, well, I'm here for you to tell me what to do. Um, right. You're in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to tell you, but I'm here based on what you tell me to help you achieve what you want to achieve. And sometimes it may be that I'm not the right person for you. Like I said at the beginning, it may be that I have to refer you to a different specialist who's more trained in that particular area. Do you have any common misconceptions that you hear or common questions that come up once you actually meet a client for therapy? Are there any myths to dispel? Some of what I said, oh, um, yeah. can you tell me what to do? <laughs> I want to leave my spouse and I need you to help me leave my spouse. I'm married, but I'm in a, a relationship with somebody else. And I, I, I want to maintain both relationships, you know? Um, 
And that sometimes can also conflict with the therapist's morals and, and own principles. And even though we're not here to judge or to put across my personal views, at the end of the day, I want to understand how things will work for you. What are you looking for? And can you achieve that? from this instead of that. We will make suggestions. You come in and you tell me, I'm going to um, blow down the CN Tower. Okay, that in itself is a reportable statement. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to sit with you and say, hey, great, how are we going to do that? I may ask you how you're going to do it just to get a sense of what's going on in your mind, but you will know because from the beginning, I'll go through my consent and let you know that there are certain things that I will keep in confidence. Most things, there are certain things that I won't keep in confidence. I may have to report one being, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill you, you know, or abuse to children. Those things are legal obligations that I, as a professional, I'm obligated to report. And so then I'm going to work with you. I haven't thoughts of dying. The question is, do you really want to die? Or is it that you're going through situations that makes you believe that by dying, those things will be resolved? So my job then will be, okay, which part of you wants to live? Which part of you wants to die? Well, this part wants to live. Great. Let's work on the part that wants to live. Let's look at the part that wants to die and let's see whether we can change that, you know? And with my help, we change it. We'll get to it. But it's not because I want you to or because I'm forcing you to, but based on what you tell me will lead me to believe that. That's not what you really want. But it's because of the situation that you're in, you feel hopeless. So I'm here to hold that hope. I'm here to you know, to, to to keep things in perspective for you until you're ready to pick that hope. Because sometimes you come in and everything is just, you know, um, I can't. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. And little by little, we work with you until you pick up that strength and you're ready to walk on your own. That's what we do. That sounds very rewarding. Mm. Able to journey with people along that path. We try. We do the best. Um, it can be rewarding. It is rewarding. But I also, as a as a supervisor, I also will tell my therapist it is not our job to fix people it is not our job to work harder than the client you know we are here to work to work with our clients to walk with them to encourage to support but if at the end of the day they choose a path that they have chosen that is not in line with what I think is I'm not here to do what I think I'm here to do what my client wants and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work sometimes a couple will come And you will try everything out of your toolbox and it still doesn't work. And you have to say, you know what? It is what it is, you know? So we we have more wins than not. And those are definitely rewarding. We work very hard to support our clients. What if I don't like who I've been assigned to? I feel like there's not a match. I presume I can call you and say, well, I don't feel, I, I feel like the match with so-and-so wasn't a good fit. Hmm. Are people often brave enough to make that call, you think? Because sometimes yep. you're worried about hurting each other's feelings. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's a good question. And I can only speak from what we do at El Piso, because at El Piso, it's not, it used to be Elvis and Ruth. El Piso, but now we have over 15 therapists that work at El Piso. So we have the we have the opportunity to reassign when clients, if a client says, we don't get it very often, but we have. And I always say to clients, if you meet your therapist and for some reason you don't gel, let me know. We'll talk again. Well, I'll try and understand why and what you really need, and we'll try and reassign you. Uh, and therapists, sometimes they do take it personally because, you know, you're there to help. Um, and 
and we work through that in supervision. It's not about you. And if it is about you, then we're going to work through it so that it doesn't happen again. Right. You know, we're not perfect. Sometimes, you know, our attitudes and, and maybe we're having a bad day. So we come into therapy and we shouldn't, but we're human beings. Right. So we take that into consideration. But in the most, um, we don't get a lot of changes okay. at all. Yeah. Now we're, we're, we're chatting during a pandemic, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you about COVID. Hmm. There's a lot of discussion about the mental health impacts of COVID. Why is COVID posing to be such a challenge for people's mental health? You know, COVID has <laughs> advantages and disadvantages. Some will beg to differ, but um, staying on the, I guess, the mental illness impact it's because it's almost like we're in we're imprisoned. We don't have much of a freedom. And as a society, as people, we don't like to be boxed. We want to have the freedom to do whatever we want, when we want. Here now, COVID has arrested us. We are in our homes, some with so much fear that they're not going out, some angry and upset, um, some are working from home. Um, that has changed a lot of things. If you're at home, you're working from home, you have children, children are homeschooled. Um, you're not only working, but you're having to supervise your child, especially if you have young children and need supervision, then you're having to divide your time between yourself and the children, supporting them with online schooling. There's your home more with your family yeah. members. If you are in a family situation, you're interacting more. You are seeing things that perhaps you were not seeing <laughs> <laughs> before. You know, the nuances, the habits, you're seeing them quite closely. You're thinking, no, this is no. Yeah. Um, and then you have those who, you know, a living alone. So loneliness sets in. Depression sets in because um, for some people who live alone, going outside, interacting with other people, you know, as God didn't create us to be an island, you know, right. we're relational beings. So we need that, even though, and I, and I'm an, intro, an an introvert and I'm a homebody. I like being at home, but I can tell you, I also like being with people, you know? Yes. So it gets to that point where you think, okay, I've had enough. I need to be out socially and, and you can't. And then you have the news. If you listen to the news every day, everything is, you know, just uh, negative. Distressing. Very distressing and, you're listening to that. Um, you're hearing family members passing away or ill. And because of COVID, you can't visit, you can't go, you can't attend. Weddings are being canceled or not happening. Like our world has changed. It's yeah. seriously changed um, to the point where it, it is um, at, at, at most affecting our mental well-being. We're not going to the gym. We're not going to the gym as much. We're not going out as much. Many things that bring us pleasure, many things that bring us um, self-care, going out, um, going as little as going to the barber. Now we're having to put our mask on, going to the hairdressers. Like everything's changed, you know? Yes. And it's it's... It's impacted. And for some, it's gotten to the point where it's causing a great mental distress. And what can we do about that? Hmm. Depending on what, what is going on and where you are, what the situation is, many different things. If it's extreme, I would say seek help, get therapy, get a counselor, join a online group, join, join a support group. Um Try and create a new way of doing things at home. For us, for my family, when COVID first hit, um, I have adult children. We played lots of games. Honestly, it was 
we work a lot. My husband and I were out all the time. My children are working, they're in school. So we don't meet very often together. But COVID allowed us to do that. You know, COVID allowed us to spend time together. And fortunately, we like each other. So <laughs> That's important. <laughs> That's important things. And that was not too bad. We played games, we did videos, we cooked, we um, had lots of conversations. You know, we, we spend time together. But for some people, that's not possible. You know, for some people, that's difficult. For some people, have, the family are the ones who are causing the distress. For some couples, again, I don't know whether you have heard, but COVID has also brought about a lot of um, domestic, domestic violence situations. Yes. And, you know, even mentioned that this month, November, is... Um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, at El Piso, our, we're doing a lot of activities in, uh, in November. But it's, it's couples. We had a, a big surge of couple counseling during COVID. Okay. More yeah. than individual. More than individual. Okay. More than individual. We had a lot more. Like, we do a lot of couple counseling anyway, but we had a lot more. It yeah, a lot higher intake of couples, um, conflict, communication. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I did see reports of that in the news that there's been a surge of calls to domestic violence help centers. And there was this whole discussion of stay home, stay safe is not safe for everyone because That's it's true. actually yeah. causing issues for many other people. Yeah, it's very sad, but it is true. Frustrations, um, anger, all the things that has affected our mental health, being at home, is now then projected on loved ones, on spouses, on children, on pets even. So um, people should get help. There is help, like you say. There are crisis lines, shelters, um, that people can contact. I know it is difficult for people that are in abusive relationships to get out, especially during these times, but the help is there. So um, I would say reach out. For us in the month of November, um, what we're contributing is that we're offering free sessions for anybody in a domestic violence situation that need help. It's, you know, we're offering four sessions, kind of like a um, an intervention, a quick intervention to help people in these situations, to stabilize them, help them be in a safe space, and then refer them to the right agencies, the right resources out there. And if they need counseling, then counseling will continue. But it's kind of like a, a first aid for the month of November, specifically because we're, you know, we're concentrating on on domestic violence. That's very generous. How do I, we, anyone, broach the subject? If we know that there's a lot of stigma sometimes surrounding mental health and we may see a loved one, a friend who we suspect they might need help. Something's not right. How do we broach that conversation? Any, any yeah, tips on how difficult. to have it? It's a definitely a difficult one. Um, because like you say, it's um, a stigma, mental illness is stigma in our, in all communities, in all cultures, really. Um, it's very difficult. People don't want to be stigmatized, so they don't talk about it. We hear quite a lot of stories about responders coming in or the police coming in and family members ending up jumping, being killed. Yes. So all of that is also a fear um, to get the help that is needed. Um, unfortunately, when you, an adult, another adult is having mental illness, you can only encourage them to get the help, but you yourself cannot do too much unless that they are at risk or a harm to themselves or to others. Um, you can call the police, you can call a crisis line, you can get, um, go to court and get a form that will 
have them come in and take um, your relative or your loved one to get the help that they need. But in, in general, basic things that all of us can do is to be loving, accepting, listen, non-judgment, not telling them get over yourself. Right. <laughs> not telling them go clean up or go and do things. And yeah. sometimes they just can't. Yeah. You'll hear um, some people have real problems, you know. You have yeah. a roof over your head. You have food. What have you got to complain what, about? Exactly. Those are very unhelpful statements. Yes. So I would rather, I would say, don't say it at all. Um, but ask, what can I do? How can I be of help? Little things like maybe even making a meal and dropping it off. Um, going to help that person clean their home. Um, asking them, you know, I, I'm very concerned about you. This is not how... I know you to be, um, can I go with you to see your doctor? Can I go with you? I have a, a counseling agency. Can I call them for you? I will go with you. Um, it's important that we, we, we give that care, that um, non-judgmental care, and, and as well just get education for ourselves. You know, because when we don't understand something, that's when we react because we don't know we react out of ignorance. So get help, get knowledge, read up. There's so much. Google is my friend. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on Google that might not be right, but there's some good things on there as well. Um, the, you know, CAMH have um, a lot of resources online. So get the help um, that is needed. Are there any consequences of not addressing these issues? Um, it can get worse. Um, loved ones can get themselves into very risky behaviors, risky situations. Relationships are broken because I want to help you. You don't need my help. Um, I get upset with you because you're in my business. Leave me alone. Um, can cause a lot of tension. So the relationships are broken. People can die honestly, from mental illness because they're not being treated, they're not getting the right treatment, suicide, getting into risky behaviors like drinking, drugs, just to numb the pain that one is going through. So it gets, it can get worse. Do you have any closing tips for us, for the audience? It sounds to me like one thing is, even if you're unsure, get help because if it gets worse, sometimes it, the worst that you've listed is really bad and can have some super negative consequences. Definitely get help. Seek help early. Sometimes we ourselves, we know when things are not right within, right? When our minds start racing, we don't feel well. Um, we're not thinking clearly. Our minds are foggy. We know when we're, when we're tired. Our body tells us. Sometimes when we don't take care of these little signs, then it grows and grows and grows. So self-care is very important. When you begin to realize that you're tired, you're not thinking straight, you're getting agitated easily, you're irritable, take time out. Um, if it, ask yourself, what do I need? Am I hungry? <laughs> mm -hmm. Am I angry? Am I upset? What, what are the needs that are not being met? How can I um, communicate what I need to whoever's around me? Or how can I communicate that I need to myself? How can I listen to myself? We talk about listening to other people, but are we listening to ourselves as well? Because the body's me, right? So it's about knowing myself enough to know when I'm not well and to seek that help. And let me make a general statement that women, we are good at going to the doctor. Men are not so good at visiting the doctor and having our issues looked at. And so it, it gets messy and gets worse quick because we, we need to be strong. We need to hold on. But um, when you're ill, you're ill. So get the help. Um, like I said, so self-care. Listen to your body, reach out 
get some counseling. If you don't get some counseling because you don't, you're not sure, they have crisis lines. There's um, helplines that you can talk to somebody who can tell you and support you in the moment. Um, if you have a, if you are part of a faith community, reach out to people that you trust um, who will then support you to get the help that you need. Maybe you don't even know where to get the help, but reach out to people that, that can help you. Um, I do want to also mention that, you know, counseling is not always for people that have, that have a problem. Oh, good point. Yes. We don't only go to counseling when we have a problem. We go to counseling to also check our blind spots. You know, we go to make sure that we are on the right path. One thing that I, I have found very helpful in um, coming, moving to Canada is annual checks, annual health checks. Um, you know, sometimes your family doctor will call you or, you know, this, the secretary will say, you haven't been in. It's time for your annual checkup. You don't go in because you have a problem. You go in just to make sure that you're not having that high blood pressure or that diabetes or checking that your eye and all of these things to check. The same way that when you have a car, in order for your car to maintain it on the road, you need to service that car. You need to put gas. You need to change things. The same way when you're driving on the road, before you go in the next lane, you're going to actually physically turn around to check your blind spot. Counseling can be the same way. You don't always have to have a problem. Just go in and check in to see how life is going for you. What is going on for you? Uh, making sure that you're on the right path. Uh, we very much at LPs advocate checking your blind spots. Don't only come when you have a problem. And don't wait until it's at the end. <laughs> we do get people that come when it's right at the end and they expect you to fix it in two sessions or in one <laughs> sessions. Or they come, oh, I just remember some of the things that you, you some people say, um, why, why isn't it working? I, I've come to you twice now, three times. It's not working. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It takes time. Yeah. You know? So give yourself time. Um, give yourself a break. You know, <laughs> it's a process of a break. Give yourself time. Allow the process to happen. It will work. Um, put in the effort. Don't come in into session and then you leave. And then throughout the week, you don't implement anything, mm. any tool that you that's been suggested to you. It's like you go to the doctor, you get your prescription, you come home, you fill your prescription, you bring it and put it in your medicine cabinet and you don't take it. Right. A month later, you go back to your doctor. Doctor, I'm still ill. Okay. Did you complete that medication? No, doctor. Makes sense. What is an example of a blind spot that might show up? How we communicate, uh, maybe. Um, okay. Lack of awareness. How we present ourselves. Um, <laughs> I have an um, example of a client wanting to be in a relationship but not real, realizing how they present themselves is actually a barrier to people coming in to them. Ah. Body language, nonverbal body language. These are blind spots. Okay. So I'm, if I've worked with you for a while and I'm seeing these things, I'm going to mirror them to you. Okay. I'm going to bring it out to you. And hopefully you will realize and acknowledge and change is there more women than men is there one who seeks help more often the therapy services women tend to seek out more okay therapy. that's not a surprise <laughs> yeah women tend to seek out more therapy couples come in and husbands say my wife dragged me here <laughs> <laughs> but men do also come Men do come. And I have to say that I have seen quite a big growth of men coming into to therapy as well. Um, men tend to come in, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, mm -hmm. but a lot of men will come in for addictions, for example, um, depression, things like that. Uh, but men do come in. 
Um, again, we do have more women therapists than men therapists as well. So I don't know if that could also be some kind of a barrier. I mean, at our agency, we try to um, men to men, women to women in that sense, but also we cross match wherever is needed and is necessary. But yeah, men, women tend to come more. Men, men are harder, it seems, to get them into care-seeking services. Absolutely. And I think part of that is their upbringing, you know, the, the society, how men are brought up to be tough, to be strong, whichever culture you come from, men are, you know, don't cry, be strong, you know, stiff up a lift, get on with it. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is we're all human beings. We all have emotions. We all suffer. We all have pain and we all deserve to get help, to get the support. Nicely said. So come on, men, go, go seek help. If you need. Yes. <laughs> go seek help. Come seek help. We're My here. final question. I just have to ask in person, when you go to counseling, is there an actual couch that you lay on? <laughs> you see in the movies <laughs> you see in the movies unless you're Sigmund Freud no <laughs> we <laughs> there might be a couch you can choose to lie down actually I've had some clients who come in and said oh do I lie down and they just lie down yeah. but no not no <laughs> generally not they sit up <laughs> okay <laughs> but just to play around some will lie on the couch and have fun I think I would try that too. <laughs> Such a stereotypical, oh, I need to lay on someone's couch. Although my problem. You need that space, you know, to just be and relax. Thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Ruth. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Nikita. Thank you for what you do and for bringing awareness um, to people out there. Um, counseling is, is not a new it's not a new um, service, but it is still relatively shy, a shy service. There's still a little bit of stigma associated to it. And we want people to know that the same way you can go to the doctor, the same way you can go um, to physiotherapy, it's the same you can go to, to counseling. Um, it's, it's a service as needed. So I very much agree. <laughs> well, thanks again. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Ruth did a wonderful job of demystifying the therapy process. As she mentioned, you do not need to wait until you have a problem before going to counseling. To get in touch with her and learn more about El Piso, I have put their website in the notes. If you didn't subscribe to our mailing list during the pause at the beginning of the episode, please take a moment to do that now by going to thegoodhealthcafe.com and subscribe to get updates when new blogs and podcast episodes are released. While there, send us a message to let us know what you thought about today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.